another episode of Breaking Mayberry. I am Martin Schneider. I'm Dan Ludwig. And uh, this is an episode we've teased for a little while. Uh, every episode so far, we've done two episodes of the Andy Griffith Show. But this time, this episode bothered us so much, and you especially, Dan. So yeah, this episode has pushed me to the brink of madness. I have watched it conservatively ten times. I'm constantly talking to people about and obsessing over the ethical and legal ramifications of the crime that Andy Griffith does in this episode of TV. Along those lines, I got a lawyer. His name is Ian. He is not charging me friend rates. We are really going to have to get our money's worth because I am hemorrhaging money that I quite frankly don't have any of that right now. Say hi, Ian. Uh, hi. Uh... I just have to make it clear for you, Dan, that I am not your lawyer. You have not paid me. Diamond dollars do not count as real money outside of Temple University. But yes, I am a licensed attorney in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and I'm also the author of Who Watches the Stormtroopers? Judicial Oversight as a Remedy for Excessive Deployment of Battlefield Technology and Search Warrant Execution. It's just a very long way of saying that I have some experience dealing with criminal procedure issues, and I am similarly weirded out by this show. We got fucking legit for this one. We decided to call in some backup. Also, please donate to our Patreon that we don't have right now, but legal fees are going to need to be paid. We're going to need one after this. I'm in some real fucking hot water as a result of this episode. (laughs) Alright, so the episode we're talking about is Season 1, Episode 7, Andy the Matchmaker. And I love that title because it sounds so pleasant and cute compared to what it actually is. Uh, once again, directed by Don Weiss. Art written by Arthur Stander, the same person who wrote Runaway Kid, which we talked about last week. So, Weiss and Sander are kind of our, like, Andy does illegal and immoral shit duo. Yeah. Uh, last week, I'm not gonna say that Andy kidnapped a kid, but he did not kidnap a kid either. He, so. he did actions that directly resulted in an Amber Alert. This, that, those actions were essentially a preamble to what he does now. Because the lesson he instills in Opie, that you should never be a snitch, really fucking comes into play here, and he really, really banks on that have sunk in, uh, sank in. There was this line that when I was watching that episode, that kind of, when I watched episode 7, the one we're going to be talking about today, really kind of stuck with me as almost, almost like it was foreshadowing, not that this... Not that this show exactly has any kind of story arc, it's not actually Breaking Bad, but it does seem to have a line that was kind of foreshadowing like they did have in Breaking Bad, where he's, where Andy's like talking to Opie and he's like, you know, rules are very important things, but sometimes they get in the way when we're trying to help somebody. So what we do in a case like that, we don't exactly break them, we just bend them a little bit. A preamble to Andy's age is just a number speech that's going to happen <laughs> later in the season. <laughs> okay, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna like go through scene by scene, but we're also going to go on massive amounts of tangents because we're going to get very upset. So we should just say yeah, what the uh, crime uh, is. Opie, Opie, I'm just saying if 
you got to bring a guy in and a little bit of cocaine has to go <laughs> out of your pocket and into his. It's all for the greater good. <laughs> all right. And so, we're, we're, we're only being a little bit unfair to Andy. So let's go ahead and, uh, as always, I'm going to read the date. Uh, please remember this happened on November 14th, 1960. And we're going to talk about that because, once mm-hmm. again, I have no idea when this show is set. Mm-hmm. And this is the Wikipedia one-sentence description of this episode. Andy and Ellie stage a fake robbery at the pharmacy to boost Barney's self-confidence. Andy also encourages Barney to date shy Rosemary, whom he had only been walking to church on Sundays. And and something that's left out of that is, as a result of this whimsical fake robbery that Andy Griffith does, as a direct result of this... A man goes to jail. A man actually goes time for this. There is a fake crime. As a result of that fake crime, there is an arrest. And and a real sentence. And a man goes to prison. Yeah. Yes, for presumably for a very long time. There's There's a couple spaces between that line. It's a dotted line. They technically get around it being a direct framing by the fact that they extradite him for other crimes that he did elsewhere. But it is still... A, an arrest as a result of a fake crime and a man who goes to jail, presumably for a couple of years. There's a lot to unpack. Let's, yeah. let's start at the beginning here. Yeah. Let's start at the beginning. The opening of our episode is uh, Barney Fife storming into his office, or maybe the police office slash jail at his Mayberry, and he is declaring that he has had enough. Mm-hmm. He's going to tender his resignation as deputy of the Mayberry Police Department. And since he's the only deputy of the Mayberry Police Department, that means their police force decreases by 50%. And he's doing a full official inventory. He's, like, reaching out. He says, here's my police belt. Here's my whistle. Here's my gun. And we do do the bullet gag where he reaches into his chest, his coat pocket, Mm -hmm. and pulls out the one bullet that he's been allotted. He's saving it for someone special. Yeah. yeah. If Barney Five shoots you, you better, you know that you fucking deserved it. <laughs> well, not written to hard disagree. <laughs> if anything, if Barney Five shoots you, that's probably evidence that you were doing in no way anything close to a crime. That was like the biggest proclamation of innocence I can think of. Let, let, me, let me back up, let me rephrase. If Barney Five shoots you, it was your fault. Not because you were doing anything, but because you saw the man with Parkinson basically shakily reach into his pocket, shakily load his gun, shakily put it in the chamber, and then shoot, and you did nothing. That is true. Like, you he, did nothing to, to prevent that from happening. He tried to shoot a person in episode two and was soundly beaten for the attempt. So yeah. that is fair. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll blame I'll blame any of Barney's victims. Mm-hmm. All right, so he is... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to bite me in the ass in, like, episode 12. <laughs> yeah, that's going to bite you in the ass in your later career. Like, <laughs> all right, uh, all right so, so he declares that he's going to... Uh, leave, and he's resigning from the police force, he does something that I find horrifying, which is he goes to where the rifles are, and like strokes one of them lovingly and says, sure am gonna miss these. God, there is the real, and then he talks about getting a job down at the pickle factory, and he really says it, I feel like, like, I was like, oh man, you're gonna die in like a year without this job, like, 
Like, he was like, I guess I'll get a job at the old picture, pickle factory. They can always use a brine tester. And I was like, ooh. Side note, I'm going to put that on our ongoing list of things that the Andy Griffith show does not realize are as gay as they sound. Holy shit, go work at the pickle factory is one hell of a euphemism. I have the to... strip club that he's going to start working at. <laughs> I actually had a pickle factory in my town growing up. It was uh, a Vlasic pickle factory. I, I have a lot of weird connections to this show in my childhood. Like, I, I, I told you, my dad, I used to remember times when my dad would watch this on TV land. Not what, I'm sure he watched it growing up, like, because he was born in, like, 1955, so this was right peak during that time where he absolutely definitely watched it, but I also remember him watching it, like, especially when we, we would go, like, see my grandma, like, he would be just straight up watching Andy Griffith episodes. I mean, something, that's actually a, a tangent. I've been talking to basically every person I know over 40, and they all watched the Andy Griffith show as a kid. Andy Griffith was basically this time period's Tom Hanks, which I think should really underscore the severity of what happened in this episode. Andy Griffith was America's dad at this time period. There were a bunch of kids who were Opie's age watching this show, learning the same lessons as little Ronnie Howard. Was he America's dad yet? Because remember, we're in season one, episode seven. Right, he hasn't quite established himself He hasn't established himself as America's dad yet. That's... Maybe. I'm being generous here. All right, so... Why does Barney feel that he needs to resign? Because he has caught what he thought was Opie, later turns out to not be true, writing a very mean, well-written poem on the side of a building. It's a great limerick. It's, uh, there was an officer named Fife. There once, come on, limerick form. There once was an officer named Fife. He had a gun and a knife. They... Both got rusty. No, the gun the gun was dusty and the, the knife was rusty or something like that. Because he never caught a crook in his life. Yes. yes. Yeah, I wanted to get that last line. Yeah, which, like, implications of that, again, like, 1960s, like, geez, he catches a crime, he's going to stab someone in the neck. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, oh, your weaponry is so, uh, is so unused from all these crimes you haven't encountered. Officer a, Rambo. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird, like, backwards way to call him a, just a, like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I bet you haven't been on one killing spree, Barney Fife. You haven't you haven't shot a single man just to watch him die. Like, yeah. <laughs> you haven't watched the life leave anyone's eyes. You're a terrible police officer. But yeah, so he, he reads this incredibly, what, pretty again, well done. Like, these kids are on fucking point. The English classes in Mayberry are making these kids very effective, mean shitheads. Even though uh, Opie can't write yet. Yes, Opie's illiterate. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like Mayberry shit posting. Like, like these kids are these kids are basically the weird Twitter of their day. They shit posted so effectively that they made they made Barty Fife question his life. I mean, can you imagine writing a tweet so powerful it makes a cop quit? <laughs> yeah. Well done, comrade. Oh God, that like I think if that happened, the person would just transform into pure energy, yeah. like just transcend to a higher plane of existence. <laughs> okay, Barney's upset by this poem. Which, by the way, anybody who has their feelings hurt that much by a little poem graffiti should not be a cop. Yeah, yeah. throwing that out there. That's fair. But it also is funny because, like, if you ever insult cops in you know real life. Cops will just throw fits. Yeah. Just get so upset that you insulted the thin blue line or the badge or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right, so he's upset by this. As you pointed out, it turns out it was not Opie. 
because Opie doesn't know how to write. That is Opie's defense. That is his alibi. Yeah. I, could, could you make a case for Opie in this one? You probably could oh, get absolutely. Opie it goes to it goes to like it goes to his capacity. If you physically couldn't commit the crime, that's a great defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's it's something to like show. Like if the shooter had to have been had to have been like six foot four, firing from a standing position. You're perfect. You know, there's no better client to have than somebody who's permanently in a wheelchair. Like yeah, <laughs> something is- like that. There is, like, the, this is the first strike against Don Knotts' uh, abilities as a police officer in the episode in that, like, he doesn't do the basic background to find out whether or not his uh, his perp is illiterate. If the kid can't spell, your case goes to hell. Like, yeah. <laughs> solid comforting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, uh, he summarily proceeds to try to quit as a result of this mean limerick. To prevent this from happening, Andy hatches a scheme... In front of his son. Oh wait, wait! We're skipping one Ooh, thing. Yeah. Uh, we the th- the reason why Barney doesn't quit right then and there is because the woman he has a crush on, Miss uh, Rosemary. Miss Rosemary. I was gonna say Eleanor, but that's Andy's mm-hmm. girlfriend. Uh, Miss Rosemary comes in and just brings him like treats or goodies, and mm-hmm. just says like she's so impressed by how you boys have been working so hard to keep the town safe. Don Knotts does a little bit here that I really do enjoy, where he's like awkwardly and clumsily, like, fondling the coat rack. Yeah. Um, it fondles is... a lot this I... episode. Wait, wait, I just have to mention something. Like, uh, isn't... Da... Miss Rosemary's coming in. She's bringing Andy, like, his laundry or something like that, if I remember right. I mean, she, she's bringing... I, I, the only reason I remember this is because she's bringing him, like, in some laundry, and he mentions, like, you know, having my judging coat. And I, I don't remember, like... And I, I'm guessing he's referring to the coat that he wears as Justice of the Peace, and that's another thing to unpack there, that the sheriff is also the justice... is also the chief judicial officer in this town. That's another thing to unpack there. But just... The fact that he refers to it as his judging coat is just something that, like, touches really, like... Corley into like the gay man in me is that <laughs> I have several judging coats and like <laughs> really are you wearing one right now like um, you're too I mean this yeah. is my this is my rain this is my like rainy day like it's not really a judging coat like it's ha- I like I don't really think that this is like what I'm wearing right now makes me fit to judge anyone at this point we uh, brought you here to judge things <laughs> <Yes. laughs> well on. this is it's an inanimate object it's a show I can't judge people in here this is just my rainy day we work. are not getting our money's worth out of this lawyer <laughs> <laughs> he is not adequately dressed or prepared. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that's actually a thing we're going to circle back to, because keep in mind, as he commits this crime, Andy holds two positions of legal authority in this town, and also, as it's later going to be established, the mayor is a fucking joke. So he basically... Wait, there's a mayor in here? There is a mayor. Yeah. There is a mayor. What mayor. episode has he shown up in? I must have missed that episode. Uh, he has not We, we been... don't see him until... Oh, he's just uh... faceless? Uh, he shows up later on. Uh, he's like, like two episodes out, and he's just episode this like little... like 12 or 13. Yeah, yeah, he's just this little bumbling egg-shaped man who is uh, very easily talked by Andy into literally anything. Oh, I... so he, so he's like the... He's like the... Not not the Bismarck. What's the, what's the guy... What's the guy that like, you know, like rolled over once Hitler became chancellor? Uh, shit. Uh, the dude prior to Churchill, you mean? Uh, no, 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 that's, that's, uh, no, that's, um, that's, that's, uh, that's Neville Chamberlain. Uh, that, but no, no, 
I, I thought it was like Bismarck or somebody like, but know. whoever, the guy who basically just like, you know, was totally like nebbish and ineffective. And then Hitler just decides to go like, I'm just going to take more power. And you know, not that Andy's not, not that Andy's necessarily a Nazi or a fascist, well, but he's close. We've, we've, we've <laughs> figured out that Andy is just corrupt and lazy. Fife is the fascist. Oh, that's, that's okay. Because Fife is is very He's, horny for authority. He is. Yeah, that is very true. Psychosexual shit between Barney Fife and crime. Oh, absolutely. He like he just can't wait for the day when he can like sodomize someone with a nightstick. Yeah, no, that almost happens in episode two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should also point out though, we realize we realized in the last episode, Runaway Kid, that if Andy is ever charged with a crime, the only person who can be the justice of the peace in that case is Barney Fife. We've already seen how that goes yeah. when Andy was brought up for a parking ticket. Kangaroo court, almost yeah. immediately. Kangaroo yes. court, is that adequate? I, I mean, that's a, it's not a legal term. Kangaroo right. court is not a legal term, but right. yes, that's a, it's a, it, absolutely. Really? <laughs> we don't, yeah, surprisingly there is not, we don't have a term that, kangaroo court is not a legal term. In my head, kangaroo court is just, it's a court. But shitty and corrupt. I don't know, like, what the actual... Uh... Definition is? Yeah. Okay, Miss Rosemary enters. Mm-hmm. And this is where we learn that Barney has been walking Miss Rosemary's church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. They are very, very obviously into each other in the weirdest, most uncomfortable way possible. Oh, yeah. Miss Rosemary seems to be terrified by any sort of, like, idea of physical contact or pairing with anyone throughout the time. Like, I don't know if it's just the bad actress or if there's some sort of subtext going on, but she seems legitimately terrified throughout this episode when anyone's talking about pairing her off with Barney. Yeah! Which I think, uh, I think being... Terrified of physical con- contact makes you the perfect woman for Don Knotts. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's already going, you're already going to hate it, so you might as well date Don Knotts. So. Also, I love that in an episode where a major crime is committed, they somehow manage to make it almost immediately about Barney Fife's cock. It's this when, entire episode about his dick. And yeah. Where he's going to get to put it. Yeah. Uh, and. So he leaves uh, with his, like, belt and everything in hand because Andy has suggested, like, well, you should probably get back out there, you know, protecting the town because that's what impresses Miss Rosemary, remember? And then Andy, like, with no tact or grace whatsoever, just like, so he's, uh, he's into you. Right? Like, <laughs> and she's very coy about it. She's trying, like, very hard to change the subject, and he is just not taking a hint. She's being 1950s as fuck about it. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I suppose he's, he's a nice man. All we're doing is walking to church. Yeah. So then she leaves. Uh, yeah, because she was. She was just dropping off the laundry or something. I don't know what Aunt B's doing. Uh, <laughs> she's not even in this episode. I've, I've noticed that any time a woman shows up in this uh, series... Besides Ellie, any time a woman who is not Ellie shows up, it's because they're dropping off food or laundry. Yeah. Or collecting money. Or like, gossiping in front of the thing. There's yeah. there's a repeated thing of them, like, having the bust-up gossip circles. Like, that's part of their job, is to be like, See, you scamper, you old women, gossiping in front of the barber shop. Is that a Mayberry Town ordinance? I think that might have been, like, a real problem in the 1950s. It was, like, the equivalent of hoodlums congregating in front of your business. Like, there's gossiping women. It's like, scat, you get out of here. It's very Music Man. Yes. Uh, but, okay, so this leads to uh, Andy's first problematic thing of uh, episode, his monologue about the obligation of a town to generate crime. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got this very, very weird um, stance on the relationship between public officials and the public. 
uses an analogy like, well, if the town employs a street sweeper, uh, then the town, you know, maybe yeah. we should keep the streets a little dirty. Yeah. Uh, which is a weird, like, analogy to make. That is really odd. But, and I think it's presented initially as a joke, but then the episode proceeds to follow that logic to the end of the show. I, I mean, I just, is is this the origin of, like, the whole Batman, you create the supervillains kind of thing? <laughs> Entirely possible. In a sense, that's what that monologue kind of feels like. Maybe this is, like, as influential as Twin Peaks, where this idea just germinated <laughs> out into the American consciousness. <laughs> but, fucking, alright, so, like, I think that's sort of, like, that idea that, like, there is an obligation for there to be an issue if someone has that job. It's sort of, like, inherent to, I don't know, why we have... So many police officers in towns with relatively low crime. Like, it's almost like we need to create issues to justify roles that people need to have in society. It's a hammer and nail situation, right? Yeah. Like, if all you have is one bullet in your pocket, everything looks like a target. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Like, there, it's sort of like aggressively pro-status quo. Sort of this idea that, that really, like, stagnates against social progress. That, like, there must be a problem because we have people solving those problems. It's like a poorly written... Back to the supervillain thing. It's a poorly written supervillain thing. Like, we must keep the balance. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> can only, we must eliminate half of Mayberry. Just as there is order, there must be chaos, yin and yang, fife and crime. <laughs> and he begins to essentially have the idea for this crime he's going to do. To his child, he's using Opie as a sounding board for planning this crime. He's like, now now follow me, Opie. Let me what you gonna do, Pa? <laughs> let me let me spitball some crime activities at you, Opie. What if we what if we staged a robbery? Like his child, who has been established multiple episodes, should just be a loudspeaker in a tiny in a tiny set of clothes. Like Opie is constantly screaming all information you tell him. He's basically the town crier. Yes, right? and he's like, "All right, you seem like a pretty good, confident, small child who gossips incessantly." Not he, only does he use Opie as a sounding board, Opie's who, what gives him the idea. Opie just wants some ice cream, because he knows that Ellie's going to give him free ice cream, because she does all the time. Yeah. Then uh, he's like, oh yeah, ice cream, like menacingly. So uh, they go to the pharmacy slash malt shop. Uh, by, by the way, we were just reminded of something before we move into this. Barney did, like, lament the lack of crime in Mayberry a few minutes ago, and he, like, actually whined, like, if only we had one little crime, like, this is a, this is a little bit of a murder, just a slight murder. If if this was the Twilight Zone, an angel then would have shown up and been like, I'm here to grant your wish, all oh, the crime you can eat, like, well, just, like, make suddenly, like, a billion gangsters appear. Like, like the thing that I that I zeroed in on in that uh, conversation was just talking about how how, you know, if three strangers had come into town and one of them was going to kill the other anyway, like, yeah. this sounds like the begin. this sounds like the beginning of, like, you know, the hills have eyes or something like that. Like, except from the point yeah. of view of the murderers. Yeah, I mean, there was, uh, <laughs> there was one point where he's like, well, if only there was just a murder, and he was like, Jesus, Barney! Like, he literally goes, like, Jesus Christ! And Barney's like, no one we know, no one we know! And Andy, like, gives him a look like, I should fucking fire you. I should very clearly be firing you right now. But instead, he sets up a fake robbery. So he goes to his, like, kind of girlfriend, Eleanor. They're fucking. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the He's malt shop. Cr- they're, they're fooling around. The, the malt shop slash pharmacy and, like, makes her an accessory to this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they decide that they're going to 
planned a fake robbery. So they put in a fake report that the malt shop pharmacy has been robbed. For $25. $25, yeah. I thought it was 24 Might have been $24 if we're going to split hairs yeah. here. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they made a thing about it being 24 because because Eleanor says, like, isn't that kind of low yeah. or something like that? <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like, it's it's a cheap robbery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so they, they stage a robbery for $24. And, like, Barney bursts into the door, like, fucking hard as a rock. Yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> like, brandishing his, uh, giant, like, suitcase of a, uh, fingerprint kit that he's never gotten to use. And it looks like one of those giant cases that roadies use to carry around, like, stage equipment. Yeah. <laughs> he just has, like, a warehouse somewhere of, like, like, police equipment that he's been buying with his salary. And just, like, staring longingly at, along with the many guns in the police station. Someday. Yeah. (laughs) One day there'll be a riot, and I'll get to use all of this. He's just got a line of credit at the army surplus store. (laughs) He he has, like, a friend named, like, Judd, who's just, like, like, just constantly lending him tear gas and shit. So, he comes in, and he, like, takes the um, cash register, because he wants to dust the cash register for fingerprints. Which makes no sense because a cash register would have all sorts of fingerprints all on it. Like, mm. From at least the two people that work the cash register. Yeah. So he would have to actually take Ellie's fingerprints too, which he does not do. Nope. I, I also have to mention that he's very clearly just using talcum powder. I can't remember the type of powder they call they call it that they use for like specifically fingerprint dusting, but it's not talcum powder, and that's very clearly talcum powder. He could have actually gone to the other side of the pharmacy, just gotten the yes. bottle himself. <laughs> so we should establish like why this is so maddening, because it's not that this is. The only like it's it's not abnormal for a main character in a TV show to do something illegal. It's not even abnormal for that to happen in this show. It's probably it's debatable whether or not this is more illegal than the Amber Alert he causes. But it's the most nonchalant I've ever seen a TV crime be committed. Like at least in Amber Alert, Andy was like, "Oh man, I really fucking stepped in it. I'm in a, I'm between a rock and a hard place on this one." He super casually commits the crime. And the show is really, really, really casual about it. Like, they're like, ah, it's just, you know, it's just a fake robbery. Like, it's... Because in Andy's, like, brain, he's just giving him something to do. It's like, it's like he threw a puzzle at the kids. Yeah. mm -hmm. I I watched it, and I, the entire time this scene was happening, I was just screaming, what the fuck, at very, at, like, escalating volumes. Because I kept waiting for someone to, like, burst in and be like, hey, this is super messed up, and you could get in a lot of trouble for this. Are you sure you want to do this, Andy? Like, no one, like, here's, no one was the voice of reason or doubt, like, even a little bit. Here's my thing. Andy did not think this through at all, because there's two logical conclusions. Like, there's two ways that this could go. Mm-hmm. Is that, number one, what actually happens, happens. Or number two, you just gave Barney Fife an unsolvable crime. So he's going to lose his mind, like... Drawing up, and it's going to like drive him insane that he's uh, so committed to this crime, this this case that he wants to have solved. And Opie raises this concern later on. Opie is saying like, "I'm not paying attention in class because I'm really thinking a lot about this crime we did." Great fucking parenting, Andy. Your kid is <laughs> pondering a, co- a criminal conspiracy when he should be learning. Uh, but. He's to like, write. Yes! Because he, he doesn't know how to write. Your and, illiterate yeah. child is pondering a criminal conspiracy during school hours. And he's what? Opie's what? Six or seven? But he should have a couple of letters down. 
Andy is so yeah, off Anthony's, the rails on Anthony's parenting that the rails aren't even in the same zip code at this point. Like, he is way into the wilderness of how the fuck you should raise a child. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, wait, but Opie's the one who, like, has the realization that, wait a minute, there's no, there's nobody for him to... Correct. What's gonna happen? And he he posts a thing like, oh, he's gonna he's gonna get to really like spend his like take his time trying to solve it. And he'll get like he'll get to chew on the case a lot. People will come in and be like, how's the crime going, up, Barney? And he'll be like, oh well, it's coming along. I got a list of suspects. So his his thing was just like this will just be like an exercise for he's giving Barney a car to chase for the rest of his life. Yeah, ignoring the illegalities of it, this is a really shitty thing for Andy to do to his best friend. His like, best friend, who I think we've established has mental problems as a result of possible PTSD. Yep. Like his his mentally and emotionally unstable friend with obsessive tendencies and a very hair like like razor thin self esteem. Who can be put into extreme melancholy, like, like depression at the slightest limerick? Not even, not even like his best friend. Also, his his family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his his simpleton cousin that he's psychologically tormenting. <laughs> All right, so yeah, in the next scene, like Opie does present this this issue to Andy, mm-hmm. who kind of rushes off until Barney opens up the door with a man who like. Held at gunpoint again, the shaky, the shaky pistol shaky thing. Shaky Parkinson's on. like, and he like issues this man into the uh, into the cell. No, 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 just in the jailhouse. Into the jail, says that he found he did it. He caught the criminal, basically on the basis of just like this guy was passing through, and I didn't know who he was, so clearly this guy must be it. Let, let's let's actually do this justice. All right, that he basically he just straight up says to Andy that he went and rounded up a drifter who seems suspicious. Like, yeah. like let's let's really break that down because it's around this scene that really like got me thinking about some of the criminal procedure shit that's going on in this show and i just have to i i i hope we can go out on a bit of a tangent on that just to talk about that that's why we brought you on exactly if you're if you're if you want to get your money's worth here's you know here's where it goes um just starting on like say episode two, we already get we already know that you know they that they don't really understand the idea of like reasonable suspicion. They stop and frisk people with zero on zero basis. And you've also talked about kind of the timing of this show, and the timing of it is super weird. It's hard to really pin down when this show exactly takes place. Like I noticed, like during this episode, there's a calendar on the wall that says it's 1957, but we know that that's inaccurate because in episode eight, uh, the gravestone of What's his name that like fakes his death? Uh, that's another crazy thing for like a, not another yet. episode. We're not, episode. We're not that so episode. Weird. Somebody yeah. fakes their death, but he, but the t- his tombstone says 1958. But on the same, at the same time, Andy is driving a 1964 Galaxy 500 as his squad car. So <laughs> it's kind of hard to say when this took place. But th- let's just I, I, say, I think, I think welcome to the mouth of madness. Yeah, <laughs> I think it takes place like it's set at the same time. As the when show, it airs. The show airs, which is, you know, 1960. Okay. So they, they also make references to Elvis and stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, so let's... So in let's, a later episode, they're going to reference Rock Hudson. Yep. But everything feels like the Great Depression. Exactly. They have cars. Yeah. Exactly. And, and let's... It's really an interesting time in the legal development of the United States. Because we're right smack dab in the middle of what's of what's essentially the Warren period of the Supreme Court. Uh, For people who agree with it, it's called the Warren Revolution. If you're Bill O'Reilly or Clarence Thomas, you think of it as the end of American liberty and something that we've been trying to turn back ever since. But if you're 
you know, a jurist who thinks that the highest calling of the law is as a tool of social progress, you see the Warren Court as kind of a model of what the Supreme Court should do. It's basically named so because uh, Earl Warren was the chief justice of the, of the United States Supreme Court at that time. And during this period, a lot of... A lot of decisions in terms of criminal procedure, as well as just general civil liberties, came down. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the timing of when the show takes place, let's say we're going with 1960 um, as the time when this takes place, all right? The major criminal procedure decisions of the Warren Court still haven't quite happened yet. Gideon versus Wainwright, which is the decision which recognized uh, that if you can't afford a lawyer to defend you in a criminal proceeding, the state has an obligation to provide that for you. And it's the thing that established that the government has to provide you a public defender if you can't afford to hire a lawyer. So there are no public defenders in Mayberry? Uh, there are no public defenders in Wainberry because Gideon versus Wainwright was in 1963. Okay. So, so there's no public defenders anywhere. There's no public defenders That's anywhere. That's good to know. Okay. All right. That uh, next, next one, uh, that you might be familiar with, uh, Map v. Ohio was 1961. That was the exclusionary rule for the Fourth Amendment. That's basically saying if the cops violate the Fourth Amendment, say they search you without a warrant, if they search your house without a warrant, uh, then the remedy for that to basically deter the cops from breaking the, your, Fourth Amendment rights, is to exclude that evidence. In other words, to say that that evidence can't be used against you in court because... Uh, for social policy reasons, we don't want to incentivize police to violate your constitutional rights. So we're going to impose this thing called the exclusionary rule to say that they can't use it against you. But Matt v. Ohio was in 1961. It's still a year away from when this show aired. Terry v. Ohio. We're, we were talking about stop and frisk. Basically this idea that in order to stop some random stranger on the street, the, you know, the cop needs some sort of reasonable suspicion. You know, some sort of thing that they can point to, an objective thing that they can say. Not just a hunch. They need to be able to, like, look at you, look at this person and say, alright, this person was, like, hanging around a jewelry store, he was sticking his hand in his pocket and, like, fumbling around with something that looks like a gun from here based on my experience and training as an officer. This guy is about to rob this jewelry store. Something like that lets you stop that person, ask them a few questions, and frisk their body if, based on what you've asked them, that's, you know, it seems like they could be a threat to you. So you're allowed to do a stop and frisk for weapons. That decision only came out down in 1968, all right? Uh, Miranda v. Arizona, where they had to read you your rights, only happened in 1966. The only case that's the only major case of the Warren Court that's come down uh, before this time of the Andy Griffith Show is Brown v. Board of Education, which which kind of puts it into an interesting context, considering that there are no black people in Mayberry. And you see some of the other racist dog whistles in the show. You kind of think maybe at some point in the late 50s in an NBC like executive boardroom, they were thinking, hmm, maybe we should cash in on that demographic that's not so comfortable with this integration thing. Just maybe. Yo. But that's a little bit speculative. But I'm just saying, you know, we can analyze this from in from through the lens of what my modern criminal procedure is. But the thing is, is that this takes place before all that. And you guys like talk about how crazy this shit was, but that's because before the Warren court put a lot of this stuff down, it was crazy. (laughs) Cops could literally get away with murder and often did. So, so, So literally all the stuff that we've been losing our mind about, like through this entire period of time was completely legal at the time that it was shown. Sort of. Yeah. With the exception of like 
Andy filing a false police report. I mean, yes, the filing a false police report is still just as illegal in 1960 as it is today. But, like, a lot of the things that you see, like, you know, in the Manhunt episode where Barney's, like, you know, just saying, I have to stop and frisk you, it's just what we gotta do, even though it's his mom. I gotta I, say, I really appreciate that your <laughs> Don Knotts impression is just as bad as ours. Yeah. It's, <laughs> My it's Andy is better. Impression. My Andy is a little bit better. Good I'd like Andy. to think yeah. so. But, uh, yeah, like, it's, I'm not 100% sure what you know what exactly the the basis for it was before terry because terry is such a major pivotal criminal procedure case it's kind of like it's just not something you really learn about in law school because it's not applicable anymore because the warren court so radically changed how criminal procedure is done in this country so by modern standards would don Knotts arrest hold up Oh, well, we, we actually haven't explained the arrest yet. So let's, yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, let's go, go back. Yeah, let's yeah, go yeah, into the arrest real quick. We'll circle back. Yeah, okay. let's circle back. So, here's how the arrest works. Barney brings in this suspicious drifter and tells Andy, I got the guy. This is the guy that robbed the uh, pharmacy. Opie, human loudspeaker, goes, wait a minute. Wait, what, what, what? They have to escort Opie out of the room uh, because he's about to blow the whole thing wide open. He's barely, like, tamping down. And Opie, throughout this entire thing, his reaction isn't like, well, I want to yell information about this. He's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I'm horrified by this. And he's like, shut the fuck up, Opie. Shut up. For once, Opie is the voice of reason and not like the enabling little psychopath. Opie is the Jiminy Cricket of this scene. Like, he is the conscience that is being, like, squashed down by Andy Griffith. He's like, shut up and let me do this crime. You're going to get us both put away for a very long time. So what Andy does, uh, because he doesn't really know what else to do, because he knows that this person obviously didn't commit the robbery because there was no robbery, is he calls a different sheriff in a different town after gathering some information from this drifter who apparently just forgot a bunch of stuff that he did that was bad before. He calls the sheriff in the other town, gives a description, gives a name, and then hangs up and says, well, we're going to drop the robbery charge because we're going to extradite you. Because in the county over, you're wanted for a whole bunch of worse stuff. They don't tell you that stuff. It's it's implied to be bad. Here's but here's an, an important thing. The description of this guy is three sentences. He says how tall he is, what his hair color is, and the name he gave. That's it. It's it's less than thirty seconds, and then he says, "Okay, we're going to extradite you." Yeah, did is the guy any... just forget he was wanted? Did he not know? Yeah, why would you use an alias that you already used? Just make up a new name. But but the, the question I have is, is that enough? Is there like a basis for how much information is required for there to be an extradition? So, um, so for an arrest today, like it's, again, like it's, I am I am a practicing attorney. I'm not necessarily a legal historian. So it's hard for me to... I'm, I'm, you know, like you guys, I'm judging this from a 2018 perspective. Like, I have the perspective of, you know, practicing law. But I don't... It's it's a little bit murkier exactly what this would have looked like in 1960. But from a today perspective, yeah, that's really fucking thin. That he, like, goes and rounds up a drifter uh, at the train yard who just... 
sort of fit a vague description. You would, if you were a defense attorney, you would absolutely like challenge this. Like, you know, if you're a defense attorney, you're kind, you're kind of like used to like challenging like things. Like, you know, he fit the description at something like a, a preliminary hearing, which is kind of the first appearance that you have before a judge, where basically they decide whether or not there's probable cause to uh, hold you. Probable cause is the basis for uh, for being able to hold someone against their will. It basically means that. Based on certain objective factors, it is more likely than not that you committed a crime. That you, in particular, mm-hmm. this you, Dan Ludwig, mm-hmm. have committed a crime. Um, it is more likely than not based on these things that I can say X and X and X and X in front of the judge. Uh, and that is what, you know, lets you behold. The fact that you fit a description and that you're a drifter on the train yard, I mean, maybe, just maybe, if the owner of the train yard said this guy is trespassing, that might be a basis to bring you in on charge of trespassing. Yeah. That might be a good, that might be a basis. But in terms of he match, he fits the description of this robber who, by the way, Eleanor said, is Eleanor the, the Ellie. Ellie. Yeah. Who, by the way, Eleanor said was wearing a mask, so I don't know how useful <laughs> the description is. No, I, didn't, I didn't catch that. <laughs> no, she absolutely said he was wearing a mask. Um, like, so this guy guy clearly did not fit the description of the robber <laughs> all right this guy he like you know t- this is totally the kind of like shit that happens all the time where cops just round up the most you know the nearest black guy wearing a hoodie uh <laughs> so for the robbery itself it's like you know paper thin and no would probably not hold up now in mod in modern day this was a particularly really dumb criminal because not only the fact was he using an alias that was already known to authorities where he was no- where he you know had already had an active warrant, but he also sit- told them the truth about where he was from. And why would you say? Why would you tell the truth about where you're from if you know you've got active warrants in that? Because area? it's old timey crime rules, and you have to like play fair. Like you I have guess. to use one of your preset aliases, and you can't totally lie. And you're also always wearing a suit, even if you're a drifter. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Like, you know how you just wear a suit to the train yard? We're not so different, you and me. <laughs> like, just the general, like, when he when he's found to be, like, a criminal wanted for multi- many serious Multiple crimes. crimes. <laughs> Most, multiple, let's not go into too much detail here, crimes. Same, same deal with the escaped convict back in Man- Manhunt! 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 So, so in Manhunt, it's a little bit different, uh, because... I'm just saying that they never say what the criminal was convicted of. Right, but that doesn't matter. He's already been convicted. There's no presumption of innocence. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, sure. it's, it's just a recurring thing. They never say specific crimes. They just say that right, you're in true. here for... For you did three crimes. Come on in. <laughs> but I mean, it's like, uh, do you remember the that Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive? Like that famous sure, scene sure. where he's about to jump off of the uh, dam. We and, definitely referenced it at least one of them. And show. like, you know, Tom, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's very accurate, and that's actually a responsible law enforcement kind of perspective because. Your position is not to judge whether or not the person's innocent. That's the court's job. Your job is, is you know, this person's been convicted. There's no presumption of innocence. Your only job is to bring them in alive. Andy Maybe. would wipe his ass with that entire principle. Andy would be like, like, like holding Harrison Ford at gunpoint. Be like, all right, well, make your case why you didn't do it, and I'll decide right here if I'm going to arrest you. They're in the middle of the sewer. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, we're, we'll, let's just figure this out right here. You have three minutes to make a compelling argument why I should let you go, and regardless of how good it is, I'll probably do it. Yep. Mayberry pretty much just runs on Grand Theft Auto rules. 
Like, <laughs> it really depends on how high your star love, your wanted level is. Yeah. Oh, he's committed enough crime for four stars. Bring out the helicopter. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. which is really just like the equivalent of bringing out the head helicopter is just allowing Barty Fife to have bullets. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, 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 not not just have bullets, but letting him get one of the rifles in the cabinet. Oh, he that he's like strokes lovingly. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever see that. We'll we'll call you the instant we do. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I can't imagine that they'll ever let Barty Fife hold a rifle. That I I feel like him holding an axe later in the season is a terrifying sight. So they extradite him to a different county. By the way, is there really extradition when it's just like within the state? Well, Cha- well, they say he's from Chattanooga, so that's Tennessee. Oh, that's Tennessee. Okay, so, so that's across state. state. So that's across state lines, and that's absolutely extradition. Okay. He, uh, here's the thing, though, and uh, like this, the whole reason I got involved in this mess is is that Dan called me like you know just distraught about this whole scenario, yes. just just as a hypothetical. Kind of like, as a lawyer, how would you react to this? And he just kind of gave it, gave me a very sanitized version about, like, you know, there's a bogus robbery, another cop who doesn't, like, you know, who isn't in on the fact that it's bogus, who thinks it's a legit robbery, nabs a guy for it, and brings him in, and, you know, while he's in custody, they find out that the robbery is bogus, but they also find out that he has an active invalid warrant in another county. I, I should point out, I asked three lawyers about this, and for all of them, I framed it as a hypothetical crime I needed to ask about. And all three of the lawyers were like, Dan, what are you mixed up in? Yeah, like, you, don't, you don't tell lawyers <laughs> hypothetically, someone who isn't me. Yeah, no, I phrased this poorly, and a lot of people were like, whatever this is, you should stay the fuck away from it, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Get out now. <laughs> I mean, usually, that's, you know, one of the things is that when you, like, become licensed, you, like have to get used to, like, you know, your friends asking you for free advice, and after, and you have to kind of get into the habit of, after a certain point, pushing back against it and saying, like, you know, I do this for a living, yeah. so we, we kind of have to, we can only go so far with this. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. So, they, they put him in the cell until the Chattanooga police can come down and get him, and that's pretty much the end of the story. The next, everything else is all about, like, Barney Fife's love life, so now... Barney, yeah, Barney Fife's sex life. Yeah, yeah, yeah so now and again miss rosemary is fucking terrified by the prospect of having been like forced to be barney's date i just can't underscore that more one freaky thing about miss rosemary they start dating at the end of this episode due to some psychosexual manipulation on annie's part yeah miss rosemary is recast twice so far where i'm at and both times she gets significantly hotter at this point, really? Barney Fife is basically dating a supermodel. Are, are they are what? they recast or are they different characters? Because I feel like both Barney and Andy go through multiple women for instance. I are there multiple to accept that Rosemary's? Barney Fife is able to uh, is able to seduce more than two women in his entire life. And are they both ma- named Miss Rosemary? I think so. No, they don't. They're never there's, there's, named. There's, there's, they're just like oh, the they're woman just next oh, they're Barney. just they're just woman number one. Yeah, like, they don't they don't have identities. They're it's just, just the fifties. Well, well Miss Rosemary is. barely has an identity either, which we're about to. Mousy and skittish. In the scene. So the next thing we see is that the Mayberry Gazette has done a big write-up about Barney Fife Hero. And Andy's sitting on his front porch re- playing guitar and reading the newspaper at the same time. Good for you. The Renaissance Man. Yeah, Barney comes along and... Uh, Barney is, is eager to, to start using his newfound fame... To, to start trolling the town. Yeah, like, yeah. He's, he's going to go on a sexual rampage. <laughs> and he suggests, like, well, now that uh, you solved that crime and you're feeling a little better about yourself, why don't you go ask Miss Rosemary out? And Barney's response is, 
She'll be there. <laughs> she ain't going nowhere. <laughs> Barney Fife. The Fife man's got to go lay some pipe. I can, yeah. I've all, I've, you know, I've always. She's old faithful, but right now I've got some, I've got some cred, so I'm gonna find some side pieces. Yeah, she's. Yeah, Barney Fife is such a bad person. His, his exact logic is that he's got to go look around a little bit. So Andy, who wants some return on investment on his horrible crime. Yes. <laughs> like, I put my neck out for you, man. Uh, so sees Miss Rosemary coming along. And then he stands up and, like, in a re- weird bout of, like, reverse psychology, decides that his is, this is his new scheme. He, right then and there, asks to go and court Miss Rosemary. I would like to call on you. Let me call on you tonight. Ugh. And Miss Rosemary, by the way, just stands there completely still this entire time. Just like she's frozen. utterly stiff. Yeah, yeah just frozen. Uh, and that is when Barney gets up, and at the idea of another man <clears throat> sweeping in and taking Miss Rosemary. By the way, no one mentions Ellie in this scene. Yeah, Barney stands up and goes, "Wait a minute, I have dibs on her." Yeah. Miss Rosemary does nothing about this. Miss Rosemary does not respond at all to the fact that these two men are bidding on her, essentially. <laughs> Staking, uh, the, arguing their claim on her. And he argues that, like, his exact words are that he's put so much shoe leather into this. Oh, he's God. invested so much shoe leather. Because he's the one that's been walking her to church and whatnot uh, this whole entire time. Naturally, he should have, like, first claim to her. Oh. And she kind of rolls with it, but almost at the like insistence. She's of terrified. She, she freezes. She doesn't say anything. She, her her facial expression is like a bank teller who's being robbed and hitting the call police button under the counter the entire time, like just like smiling, like everything's fine, everything's fine. Hitting button, hitting button, hitting button. <laughs> like she's waiting for reinforcements to show up to help her. It's like she's buying time. But, but yeah, it, and this is like the third time that, that Andy has solved the situation by psychosexually reverse psychologying uh, Barney Fife. Like, he it's fucks really with weird. his mind so much. And that's it. That's yeah. the entire episode. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, it's established that Barney is now courting Miss Rosemary, and uh, Andy has no repercussions for this. Uh, we never have to deal with human loudspeaker Opie. I guess we're just hoping that he forgets, I guess? His, so he has the massive gaping loose end of Opie, ta- like, tethering him and Ellie to a staged crime. Like, if, if I've learned anything from mob movies, it's that you kill that kid. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, no, they, like... You can't afford to leave that kid alive. There's, like, in any mob movie, there's a conversation like, I can't kill him, he's my son, like, don't put us both away. But, but, like, so, if I was, like, if I was looking at that, like, if I was Andy's superior and I was looking at that police report, I was like, alright, so there was a- Andy has no superior. Yeah. Uh, there's gotta be some sort of state official, right? Who has to review a case? We, we've been introduced to the state police. We were introduced to the state police in Manhunt! Manhunt! And the state police, like, are on Andy's side now. It's true. Yeah, and they're barely competent themselves. Like, alright, so this one witness on this extremely low-stakes robbery that resulted in this arrest was the woman you're fucking. Like, I'd be like, so this is super suspicious. I'm going to look into this- Literally at all. Oh, hi, Opie. Do you have any relevant information you want to scream at me? Like, like, there's in no, like, there are so many other versions of this story, and all of them either end with A, Barney Fife shooting someone, or B, Andy going to jail for a very, very long time. 
Why not both, my friend? Yeah, like, I don't see possibly. how those two are, are mutually exclusive. Like, all right, so we we talked we touched on how bad of an idea it is to give Barney Fife a prolonged crime earlier, just a, a crime to to slowly drive him insane. Sure, there are like five other versions of how that play out. What if he had just arrested literally anyone else? What if there hadn't been a guy in that train yard, and instead he had gone to like the hardware store and just decided because he's mentally unstable. Bill, you're coming with me. You vaguely match the description. I'm. Pr- would Andy have said any shit? Barney Andy- Five. Barney Five. Cinderella's this shit and just yeah. goes, goes from business to business with a mask, like dragging Ellie along. Be like, put his mask on. Is that the guy? No. Okay. He would be doing police lineups in the malt shop twenty four seven. Like, but would Andy have said like he gets off easy in that the guy turns out to be wanted for other crimes? But as far as Andy knew, there like a moment comes where like he he does like cross the Rubicon and do and and sort of like he comes to this crossroad and chooses to keep his mouth shut. But Andy is like, all right, Barney has arrested this guy for a crime he did not commit, and I made up. I made up. I could get in a shitload of trouble if anyone found out I could do this. What am I going to do? And then he gets off easy by the by the fact that. He keeps his fucking mouth shut, and he allows a guy... It's, it's, it's Nicolas Cage at the end of Bad Lieutenant. Like, when he gets the call and he realizes he's going to get away with all of it, and just dances away scot-free. Yes! So, I, I, ju- I just have to bring up here that even though, like, even though the guy is going away, um, and it's also the 50s and 60s, so this is highly unlikely, but still... Even if it was this guy, or definitely much more if it was just some rando, like, who ha- didn't have active warrants. Totally there's a suit for false arrest. Mm-hmm. There's, like, you know, a lawsuit against both, you know, the Mayberry, you know, Sheriff's Department, as well as Andy in his individual capacity. Mm-hmm. And you almost certainly have, like, you know, conspiracy charges against, mm-hmm. like, Andy and Ellie and... Not really, not really Opie, because Opie's like a minor and, you know, is too young to really be able to form criminal intent at this point. But, uh-huh. you know, Opie's, Opie's probably going to be a ward of the state just because, <laughs> there, just there, because Andy's <laughs> going away. There are eight seasons, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're almost... Again, they did not wait for a season finale yeah. for it to go full on the shield. Yeah. Like... But, all right, so, like, like from a, a pulled-back perspective, you have a sheriff who is working with an absentee mayor and is all both the sheriff and the justice in the, of the peace. So he is essentially judge and jury and with zero accountability whatsoever, who has now, as of this episode, framed a man for a crime he did not commit to benefit a family member who is working for him. Like, if I describe this to you, you'd be like, what fucking, like, hellhole are you describing? It's somewhere between, like, something you'd hear about happening in, like, Nicaragua and Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's nightmares. Like, he really, he crosses the Rubicon from being just, like, a bumbling sort of con manny sheriff to being, like, he is a smiling dictator. Like... I've, I've said it before, I'm really wondering what's gonna happen when, like, Andy takes a sick day... And Barney Fife comes into power. Oh, like, then the, I they they have they have set up this benevolent dictatorship that once Barney slides up into the ranks will turn into f- pure fascism. There is an episode for you happening in about 
12 episodes. Yes! The raid of Barney Fife does happen. It goes pretty similar to how you're envisioning. Oh, God. Yes! Andy's a, Andy's for the most part a good dude with a, 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 I like he he he's enforcing his own version of morality against the law and and that sort of works out like his whole thing of like the law gets in the way of the greater good so we should ignore the law and I'll just enforce what I think is right for the most part it doesn't cause very many problems but what if you took like anyone with any shitty view like for example like what if Andy was a little bit racist? Oh shit, you just invented Joe uh, Ara- Arapayo? Fuck, I can never remember his Arpaio. Arapayo. Yeah, you just invented Arpaio. Yeah. Arpaio, not Arapayo. You like you just invented the like the nightmare backwater sheriff abusing his authority. God, that is really that is actually really accurate now that I think yeah. of it. Just take Andy Griffith ad racism and you have like a civil rights nightmare. Yeah. So it sounds like you know what your fight score is. It's it's ten. This Wait, is what's the... five score? All right, so 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 let's let's do uh, let's do our ratings for this episode. Every episode we rank on an Andy meter, yeah, one to ten Andys, which is how good is this episode? Like, how much did you enjoy watching it? How good is it? And one to ten fives is how horrifying is this episode? The ramifications. How, how okay. morally repugnant? Okay, this is definitely ten out of ten fives. Yeah, ten out of yeah. ten fives. Yeah, ten out of ten fives, we, hands down. We, this we is the agree. gold standard. We all agree that this is ten out of ten fives. Just. If not for just the behavior, but just the precedent it sets. Yeah. 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 And then, how good is this episode? One to ten Andes. Like, how much did you were, were you entertained by this? Do you actually like watching it? I mean, it was good fodder for good conversation. I have no... It's a picture of Turk from Scrubs. I have no fucking idea if it's a good show. Like, if it's a good episode of TV. Like, I think it's technically, like, it's, it's a good story arc. I, I don't... Been, you know... It loses some Andes for me because of that last scene where Miss Rosemary's just standing there silent as the two men war over her. That scene creeped me out so much. It is deeply creepy. That, like, any enjoyment I would have gotten from any of the other parts, and and some of the parts I did enjoy, like, I really enjoy Opie being rushed out of the room yelling, Pa, ba, pa, ba, pa, because he's about to blow everything wide open. So I'm going to say six Andes. I think, yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'm gonna defer to you, because again, like, I don't know, this episode currently takes up 25% of my brain, I don't know if that's a good statement of quality, like, yes, six Andes, I'm going to defer to your judgment. Alright, yeah. six Andes, Ian? Um, I guess, I mean, this is my first uh, episode that I'm giving a rating like that, I, like, just, uh... Just because it's my introductory episode, I guess I'm gonna go like seven Andes, maybe. Just I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add a little bit more, just because it like got me thinking about like all the messed up stuff in this show. I'm like, you're slowly converting me to like, you know, this. Welcome to our house. Yeah, this downward spiral. This was supposed to be a fun thing, and I'm losing my mind. I'm. I don't know if I'm going insane because I'm constantly watching the Andy Griffith show or watching the Andy Griffith show because I'm going insane. Well, America 2018. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Like, what have you done to me with this idea? You've killed me, you son of a bitch. I'm going to be in a hostage situation before the end of the year. I mean, I guess... I, I don't know. I'm going to be like arrested outside of Ron Howard's house. You know that we're recording this, right? Yeah, you're gonna want to delete this. 
Wait, wait, wait. Let me let me consult with my, my let me consult with my attorney. This podcast is a work of fiction. Yeah. None of the statements taken inside should be taken for their truth value. Yeah, shit. We need to sleep. we need to add a disclaimer to the end of this. The opinions of Dan Ludwig do not represent those of Breaking Mayberry. I'm I'm getting very worried that this episode will be introduced in court at some point. <laughs> I think that about wraps it up for us here at Breaking Mayberry. Yeah. Ian, thank you for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So please remember to like, subscribe. Uh, you can follow us now on Twitter at Break Mayberry. Turns out we had too many letters. Yeah. So at Break Mayberry. Um, cool, cool. We are available on SoundCloud, soon to be on iTunes. Uh, please remember to share us with your friends, etc., etc. Uh, you can follow me on the internet. I am at Schneid Remarks, S-C-H-N-E-I-D Remarks. I'm at the Luds. Or, no. yeah. yeah, two Ds, two Ds. Oh, you know what? I'm, d- I'm going to stop saying that. If they care, they'll find it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, our next episode covers... What does it cover? Our next episode will cover uh, episode 8, Opie's Charity, and episode 9, A Feud is a Feud. We're, oh. get, we're getting to the Hatfield and McCoy episode next time. Yeah. It's nice. All right. Uh, so, that's a little teaser for y'all. I'm Martin Schneider. We'll see you all down at the fishing hole. take place it gotta be like in the 70s maybe opie comes back as a uh jesus it's the Uh, dark and gritty reboot andy taylor returns home nice to visit opie Nice. A deranged looking Wait, 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 Where's Andy been? Why is why is Andy the one coming back and Opie's not the one who's coming back? Maybe it's like a maybe it's like a ghost at a watchman type thing where Andy's become extremely racist. Become?